I do not have a PowerPoint today, so I, I apologize. I didn't get a chance to talk to the people upstairs. They're probably like, where's his PowerPoint at? And they're panicking, probably trying to find it. Um, but I intentionally did not do a PowerPoint today because I want to talk directly to your heart. From my heart to your heart. And... Um, I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at four benefits of being united with Christ, but we are not going to get through four benefits. If we make it through two, we'll be doing good. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is a danger every pastor faces when he gets in the pulpit. The danger of preaching the Word of God, but not doing what it says. That's a danger. There's also a danger that every congregation faces. The danger of listening to the Word of God and not doing what it says. So we are both treading on dangerous ground every time we come to this part of the service. We are treading on dangerous ground. Here, Paul is addressing the Philippians and telling them, it looks like he's saying, if you have encouragement in Christ, if you have comfort from his love, if you have fellowship, if you have compassion from being united with Christ, it makes it sound like it's a question, do they really have that? Well, the real translation is, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Since you have comfort from his love, since you have fellowship with the Spirit, since you have love, compassion, Paul says, fill up my joy. When Paul talks about filling up his joy, it sounds selfish, doesn't it? I mean, he's saying, fill up my joy. That doesn't sound right to me. But why is he saying that? He's saying that because what brings joy to the pastor's heart and to Paul's heart is the very thing that brings joy to the heart of God. And what is that? Unity in the body of Christ. If there is not unity in the body of Christ, see these things that Paul has written about, encouragement, comfort, fellowship, compassion, these are not only benefits that we have from being united with Christ, they are also needs that we have. 
Because you see, there's not a person breathing and alive in our congregation this morning or outside the congregation who doesn't need encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and love. Not one person. We all need that. We all want that. But how does that happen? How do these benefits actually happen in the body of Christ? They happen when the body of Christ is in unity together. That's the only way it can happen. You see, our union with Christ will result in a committed, purposeful, and determined effort to work together to accomplish something that could not be accomplished alone. And when Paul is asking them, do you have any encouragement in Christ, or since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about a church, a corporate body of believers. Since you have encouragement in Christ, you're united with him, it's a benefit. God's great commission that has been given was not given to individuals, it was given to the church and a, com- a community of believers who join together under a common cause with a common faith and a common goal to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. I'm reminded of the elderly couple who were both a little hard of hearing after 65 years of marriage. And the husband was in the hospital and the wife went to visit her husband and she was sitting next to his bedside and she said, Honey, she said, after 65 years and all the ups and downs we've been through, our love has been tried and true. To which the hard-hearing husband said, yeah, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) That's what it sounded like to him. Sometimes we don't hear too well. But we need to hear. Why is this so important to... Pastor Paul, unity. Why is it so important? Because the church, listen carefully, the church is God's showcase to demonstrate to the world the power of the gospel. The church is the showcase to demonstrate to the world the power of the gospel. So here is the dilemma If the behavior in the church is not any different than the behavior in the world, the church is not functioning the way God intended. What makes a difference? Our union with Christ makes a difference. How we are united with Christ. Our union with Christ supplies our needs, and without a relationship with Christ... We will always have unmet needs because there's no human being that can be available 24-7, 365 days a week, every holiday, no sick days, no vacation that's available to meet your needs or available to meet my needs. The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. And so you have unmet needs in your life if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those needs will not be met by you being with another person or people. See, here's what Paul says in Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The only way a person can be in a right relationship with God is to be united with 
Christ. And the only way to be united with Christ is to confess your brokenness and your sinfulness and you bring it to God and you cast yourself on his grace and mercy and ask him to forgive you of your sin. There is no other redemption. But unfortunately, in our culture, in our day, we are playing down the gospel, we are playing down the word of God, and we are missing what God has for the power in the church. Jesus came and he died on the cross. He took our punishment so we could be united with God, reconciled and played in a, placed in a right relationship with God. The first benefit of being united with Christ is that our union with Christ supplies our need of encouragement. You see, Jesus... We don't have a lot of prayers of Jesus in the Bible, but there's a few. And one of his longest prayers, I guess, is in John 17. And it's interesting what Jesus prayed for, for his followers. Do you know what he prayed for? Unity. Unity. See, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, all of your, all of your uh, strength is in union, and all of your danger is in discord. Turn to John 17, because I'm going to read through a big portion of this. You see, these benefits all hang off our unity in Christ. In John 17, beginning in verse 6, these are the words of Jesus. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Talking about believers. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. That's being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them, says Jesus. I am not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And listen to this, and glory has come to me through them. Now how does glory come to God through us? By our unity in the body of Christ. If we are not unified in the body of Christ, we are not bringing glory to Christ. Glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, a broken world, a sinful world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
See, the joy of Jesus is in unity. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. What's he saying? The evil one is going to attack the church to try to divide it, to divide people. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify them, as it were, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us. For what reason of unity? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's why. The Great Commission is fulfilled when the church is unified and serving and working together. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Notice, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Complete unity. For the purpose of exalting Christ and advancing the gospel. That's how God does it, is through the church. So we say our union with Christ supplies our need of encouragement. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, if, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. So our union with Christ is an encouragement in three ways. We have access to God's grace. We have access to God's peace. And we have access to God's throne. That's encouraging to me. All of those are encouraging to me. And where do I get that? Well, if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, what does Paul say in verse 2? Grace and peace to you. To who? The people. <laughs> Why? Because people can't get along without grace and peace. It's not possible. If you are at odds with someone in the church and you don't have access to the grace of God, you will not be able to be reconciled to them and have a right relationship with them. And so here's what happens to a graceless person in a church. They're out here in the lobby. Well, I can't go get coffee right now because so-and-so's over there getting coffee. God forbid that I would stand next to them. I can't stand them. And I give them a cold shoulder. Now, what does that do to exalt Christ and advance the gospel? Tell me, what does that do? Does that promote the love of God, the unity of God in the church? No, it does not. So the church, to be unified, has to be a community of grace. 
And when we lose the grace of God, we will not be an encouraging congregation. We will be a critical congregation who criticizes and backbites and gossips about people behind their back, and we will not be the people that God wants us to be at all. God has called us to unity. That's what he's called us to do. We cannot be unified apart from the grace of God. That is a gift that God has given to the church. And that's the encouragement that we have. And that is something that I have striven to do in my own life. Is to always be reconciled to people. Because that's what brings unity. So this union with Christ is an encouragement and it gives us access to God's grace. Here's what he says in Romans 5 too. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, our union with Christ gives us access to grace to encourage us in our personal relationships. And if grace doesn't work there... We don't need it. If grace can't help me in my relationship with you and your relationship with me, I don't need grace. But you know what? That's the only way I can relate to you. And the only way you can relate to me properly is through the grace of God. Paul was touching the lives of the Philippians. The Philippians were touching Paul's life. The grace of God was extended in their relationships and it brought encouragement to their hearts. They ministered to Paul and Paul ministered to them. So take a moment and look around the auditorium. Go ahead. Look around. Is there anyone here that you are not in a right relationship with? Anyone? Whether you're dealing with a difficult family member or resolving a relational dispute with a brother or sister in Christ, God will give you the grace to respond in a Christ-like way. Are you harboring hard feelings or nursing a grudge against someone? Are there people in the walls of the church that give you a cold shoulder? God's not pleased with that. And He won't bless that. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, in verse 16, it says there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. That means God hates these things. Do you know what the last one on the list is? In Proverbs 6, 19, one who sows discord among brothers. That's what God hates. Someone who sows conflict to divide people God hates. An encourager is a cheerful giver of their resources. They look for tangible ways to touch people, to encourage them with their words 
for ways to bless people and encourage them with their resources. We see such a man in Barnabas. Barnabas was the son of encouragement, the son of consolation, the son of exhortation. Through his words, he encouraged people. The church didn't even want to accept Paul because he was such a horrible person before he was saved. He comes into the fellowship and they don't even want to welcome him. So who comes to his aid? Barnabas. Good old Barnabas says, wait a minute. Here's a guy that gave his life to Christ. How are you going to treat him? Are you going to welcome him into the fellowship? You see, our union with Christ gives us grace to encourage us to stand against a culture opposed to Christianity. God is for us, that is good. God is with us, that is better. God is in us, that is best. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If the church is anything, it is to be a grace-filled community. That's what God has called us to be. And relationships are characterized by encouragement, not criticism. People look for ways to build one another up in the faith. The second way our union with Christ is an encouragement is we have access to God's peace. His grace and His peace. He tells us in Philippians 4, 7, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I am experiencing inner conflict, turmoil, or anxiety, it is God's peace that brings those thoughts and feelings captive to the obedience of Christ, and I'm able to experience internal rest. Remember what our country did during the Gulf War, back in the Persian Gulf? Our enemy was firing scud missiles. What was our defense? The Patriot missile. What did the Patriot missile do? It intercepted the scud missile in midair. Why? Protection. God's peace protects our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, then we can have peace with one another. And honor the Lord. Isaiah 26.3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We renew our minds in truth. Memorize Scripture. Carry Scripture with you. Put it on your mirror at home when you're getting ready, brushing your teeth, combing your hair. Put Scripture up there and read it to help you. The third way our union with Christ is an encouragement is it gives us access to God's throne. In 1996, the Olympics, there was a young lady named Carrie Strug. She was the Olympic gymnast and she had the weight of the Olympic gold on her shoulders for her team. 
All she had to do was have a successful vault and the U.S. would get the gold medal. There was one problem. When she did her first vault, she sprained her ankle and she could barely walk. She fell. She did not get the score she needed for the team to win. And she sat there on the mat with tears falling down her face. She cried for two reasons. One, she was in pain. Two, there was no way she could make the score to win the victory in this situation. But she had one more jump. She had another vault. She got up, she felt like giving up, but her coach stood on the sidelines and said, You can do it, Carrie. You can do it, Carrie. I believe in you. You can do it. As she limped to get ready to try to do a vault, she could barely move, and she told the interviewer after the vault all she could do to keep going was to keep her eyes on the coach. He kept her from focusing on her ankle. The girl was hurting. She was crying, but she had an encourager. Even with the limp, she took off running and did her flip on the vault. She had to nail the landing in order to win, and she had to try to do this with an ankle that was injured. With her coach's encouragement holding her up, she conquered her impossibility, and she earned a high enough score for the U.S. team to win the gold, all because of her coach's encouragement, because encouragement changes your performance. And what was it that changed that? What was it that changes it for the believer? It is God's throne. That we look at God's throne... Paul did that in verses 3 through 6 in chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. It was the throne of God. He took the people of God to the throne of God that they would experience the grace of God and exalt Christ, advance the gospel, be unified together in the body of Christ. That's God's desire. All of our strength is in union. All of our danger is in discord. I would encourage you to spend time in prayer before God's throne. I did that when I was on sabbatical. I spent a lot of time in prayer, seeking the face of God. God, is there anyone I need to get in touch with that I'm not in the right relationship with or that, that I think might have something against me? That's how I prayed. God brought two individuals to my mind. What did I do about that? I contacted them on the phone before I even came back. And said, are we okay? Is there anything between us? Because you see, I really believe that if we are going to live the Christian life, we've got to do it authentically. I don't want to play games. So I'm talking directly to your heart because my heart has been so heavy for the last several months, I can't even tell you. Burdened. For this church burden for the people in this church 
concerned that Satan is trying to get a foothold at Bethesda Church. And I don't want that to happen at all. I purposely did not use the PowerPoint today because I I, I don't even know. I I just said, God, I want you to tell me what to say today. I, I wrote this sermon. I rewrote it. I worked it. I reworked it. I'm like, God... You're going to have to tell me what you want me to say. So what you are hearing this morning, I believe, is what God wants me to say. And hopefully I'll say it all. But I want you to know, I need your prayer. I need your prayer. My heart is very heavy. The second benefit we have from being united with Christ is our union with Christ supplies our need of comfort. See, God is able to bring comfort to our hearts that no other person can bring. In the midst of trouble, God can bring comfort. I have experienced that. In Psalm 119, verse 50, the psalmist said, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. You see, we get comfort through the Word of God. That's our union with God, our union with Christ, the comfort from His Word that we get. I don't know about you, but is God stretching you? to where you feel this affliction in your life and it's like, how am I going to get comfort? How am I going to get through this? You do it through coming back to the Word of God and saying, God, I need your comfort. Would you comfort my heart through the Scripture? And that's why the psalmist said, your promise gives me life. Psalm 119, verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Psalm 119, 75 and 76. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. God is able to comfort us in our needs. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is the originator and provider of comfort. Charles Hodge, a theologian, said, God is the author of consolation, not only by delivering from evil or by ordering our external circumstances, but also chiefly by his inward influence on the mind itself. In other words, he is able to take what we are dealing with and he's able to reduce the strain and the pain and the distress that we are going and and lessen the severity of it. 
and earthly comforts can't do that. Where do you turn for comfort? An earthly relationship? An earthly answer? Or is it a biblical answer? An answer of Christ. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn that says, Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching o'er me, I can sing, though billows roll. Nietzsche said a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But Christian Rieger, a German pastor who was a Nazi prisoner for resisting Hitler, said, I learned to know the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then and is enough to sustain me still. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Some of you remember the story of Job. In Job chapter 2, he has three friends come to him. After they heard about all the evil that had come upon him, the purpose of their visit was to bring comfort to him. In fact, in Job chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, And when they saw him, Job, from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. They didn't even recognize him. And then they give him counsel. Chapters 4 through about 14, you see all this counsel that his three friends are giving him. And at the end of all their counsel, at the end of all their noise, was he comforted? Not a lick. If anything, he was more discouraged. Here's what he says in Job 16 too. I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. How'd you like to have those kind of friends? See, Job's friends messed up when they opened their mouths. Some things they should be commended for is that they did come to his aid. They traveled to where he was and they spent time with him. They sat on the ground for seven days and said nothing. And that was our greatest ministry. And sometimes our greatest mess up is when we open our mouth and things come out of our mouth that should not be said. And that's one of my concerns for the body of Christ at Bethesda is gossip. That people are talking to people, saying things about other people that should not be said. And here's what you are to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. If somebody comes to you and they begin to talk about somebody else, you should stop them and say, have you talked to the person you're talking about? And send them back to that person. If you don't do that, you are causing disunity in the body of Christ. You hear me? That's biblical. I've done it myself. I've had people come to me with stuff. I said, hold it. Did you talk to that individual? Nope, not, then I don't want to hear it. You go talk to them. It's biblical. 
When I was a pastor in Virginia, we had eight pastors on staff, and I had a guy come into my office and start talking to me about one of the other pastors. I stopped him. I said, stop. Have you talked to that pastor? Nope, his office is right down the hall. Go talk to him. And you know what? To his credit, he did that. And 20 minutes later, he came back and said, it's all resolved. I said, praise the Lord. See, that's what, that's what will keep unity in the body of Christ. When we operate biblically and not out of emotion and saying things that ought not to be said, that cause injury and hurt to people, that's not the body of Christ. There's not perfection in the body of Christ because we're all broken. I've said that. We are. But we have to be responsible biblically. If you have a personal offense towards someone, the Bible says you need to go and talk to them about that offense. Sit down with them. Talk with them one-on-one and try to resolve it. If it's not resolved, then you can bring somebody else with you. Read it in Matthew 18. It's in there. But if we don't do that, here's what will happen. You either feed on Christ or you feed on each other. That's what will happen in the body of Christ. Our union with Christ supplies our need of comfort. God restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and he gave him twice as much as he had before. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you, are you a contributor to unity in the body of Christ? Or are you one who is sowing discord? Are there people that you are giving a cold shoulder to in the body of Christ because you have harbored something against them? Or are you going to sit down and talk with them? Or are you going to harbor resentment and bitterness and grudges and cause disunity in the body of Christ? We all have a responsibility not to do that. It's a very serious responsibility because one of the things the Bible says that God hates is sowing discord among the brethren. That's a very serious charge. As I said at the beginning, a danger every pastor faces is the danger of preaching the word but not doing what it says. It's a danger. And no pastor will do it perfectly. A danger every congregation faces is the danger of listening to the word and not doing what it says. So either way, we're on dangerous ground. And the congregation won't do it perfectly either. 
but we strive in a community of grace to give room for forgiveness, understanding, coming together and talking to work through things. Because that is what the world is looking for. And if the world cannot find that in the church, why would the world want to even come to the church? What do we have any different? The fighting, the bickering, the arguing, it's all in the world. But it should not be in the church. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, our union with Christ, any comfort from His love, fellowship with the Spirit, tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition because that's what you want, or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's our calling. That's our mandate. And when we do that, we will be promoting the Great Commission. People will be drawn to Christ because they need encouragement, they need comfort, they need fellowship, and they need love, and they ought to see it in the body of Christ. If you're here this morning and you have not united your life with Christ, you don't have a relationship with Him, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you for your need of salvation, your need of forgiveness, your need to be reconciled to a holy God because you cannot erase your sin. Only Jesus can. Would you give your life to Christ? Would you allow him to come in and change you from the inside out? If you do that, We would love to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, as in boy.org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.